Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Dude, there's the handsome guy. What's up, buddy? Hey, Matt. Good to see you. Good to hear you. How are you, my friend? Uh, very good, actually. Uh, you know, kind of late afternoon, early evening here on a Friday, and it's nice to be done with the work week. Take a little bit of a breather. How about you? Yeah, likewise. We got. Um, let, let's talk weather, right? Everybody loves doing a weather check on their podcast, even though this will be a few days from now. No, it's it's great out right now. We're getting a nice little late uh, summer weather in. in into the middle of November. Kind of fun. But uh, yeah, it's Friday afternoon. We're here recording the end of a busy week. These seem to be flying by. I can't believe we're about to approach Thanksgiving. I bet everybody's been saying that. Um, but you know, to think that we're about just two weeks away from that. And, and then after that, the, the, the year seems to really just fly by. So um, anyway, kind of crazy when you reflect on it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find that phenomenon to be even more pronounced as I get older. Um, you may see the same thing, but yeah, I feel like I'm in free fall all the time. And yeah, I absolutely agree. The The weather is gorgeous right now. We had a very clear day. It's very Indian summery. I think the only thing that's a bit of a bummer is I feel like, uh, you know, the Will Ferrell um, character, you know, Ron Burgundy, when he's been sort of cast out toward the end of the movie and he's wandering the streets of San Diego with the milk on a hot day. <laughs> my, my poor check was maybe not a great choice considering that it's like 88 degrees outside. I probably should have gone with something lighter, but we'll hit that in a second. You know, I, I think subconsciously I was influenced by that. I didn't even make the decision uh, on the surface level, but uh, that'll be funny to, to compare and contrast. Um, I have to tell you last night I was over at the high West saloon, uh, our good buddy, Brian, uh, who um, we've had a lot of great fun with not only on a previous episode, of course, but just interacting and watching his journey and, everything he's doing, um, you know, from his infinity barrel to all the kind of cool tastings and, and whatever. And, and some so, cool people. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. No. So last night, the, uh, the folks from bad ombre importing, um, not bad ombre like Jason K, um, and his home age, uh, home, home, uh, aged product. Uh, but the actual, they're, they're, it's an import company here. They have a few brands under, under their belt, um, uh, that they distribute here in California and they had, um, uh, the gentleman Juan Carlos, who's the sort of brand owner for uh, Dio Pesca and uh, Aprendiz Mezcal. And so they wanted to pour a few things and, and spend some time with Brian and, and I was invited to join them. And so we did that. And of course, you know, I had to, to dip into some of the uh, the peated, you know, scotch whiskeys because I just had a hankering for them. And uh, good time. Amazing time. Really appreciate everybody there. And uh, I'm moving a little slow today, but I'm here and I'm feeling good. Right on. I think I actually, I think I caught some of the video from the, the barrel, you know, the, the bottle dump, um, from that. So that looked cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good time. Good time. I've got to go back again. I got to take, yes. and because I have to mention hungry Jim on every episode, I got to take my buddy hungry Jim to that place. Actually, I've got a bunch of friends hey, that would probably love to love to go there. Oh so man. There. Hey, you know, as I was, I, I was going to ask you, uh, have you ever been offended, like actually offended by an online watch listing? 
Mm, not that I can remember. <laughs> I was on eBay and I was just perusing and and with the, one of the new uh, Grand Seikos, the uh, was it the, S- the SBGW maybe the two seventy five right? Those are the the green the three different green variations we we talked about a little I, while ago. I don't know. I love that brand. I've got a couple of those, and you know I'll have more. I'm sure. I I can't wrap my head around the you know the nomenclature system. The the taxonomy of Grand Seiko is beyond me, dude. I can't remember any of it. All that to say, uh, there was one listed for seventeen thousand dollars. <laughs> You gotta be kidding me! What I was, I was offended. I was actually offended. Yeah, that's that is uh, GTFO material. Yeah. yeah. Oh, awful. Well, I mean, uh, is there anything worse or more offensive than like a seventeen or eighteen or I? I heard I have not seen of twenty plus thousand dollar ops. You know, with the the blue dial in particular, that's insane to me. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You know, we're not going to get into the whole, uh, you know, auction and award season stuff. We, you know, a bunch of other pods have gotten into that, you know, but, uh, yep. you know, the hype machine continues to roll on. And, uh, you know, I think we'll talk about some other things that maybe are not quite part of that hype machine today and maybe in the next couple of weeks. And, and uh, you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on in the, in the watch world. You don't have to certainly don't have to find yourself focused on one one particular area. Yeah, totally. Well, I think we're going to touch on one sort of at least hype adjacent kind of thing here briefly, just because it's it's something I personally feel like we got to talk about. But um, before we do that, let's do a little uh, wrist check, poor check. What have you got today, brother? On the wrist today, the uh, 7273 is I think what uh, Chase and, and I have sort of leaned on. I haven't pulled the extracts on it, which maybe I should do at some point, but uh, the Omega Seamaster Cosmic 2000 on a Hovig Supply House uh, Italian uh, gray suede strap. Um, you know, I guess it's weather related still, but I, I just, I've got, I've got kind of short sleeves on here. I've got some light pants. I feel like it's before Labor Day. I'm just, I'm over here doing, doing whatever I want with my style today. And this is light and gray and blue and this is what I'm doing. Yeah, man, you look like you're ready for a, uh, a gin and tonic and... <laughs> I do love that watch. I'm I'm really glad when you got that back. I uh, I'm glad to see that on your wrist more. That's one of I would think two or three watches that I just associate with you and your sort of your persona. So it's super cool. I almost gave up trying to find it a couple of years back, and I'm so glad I didn't. I just wasn't working out, but um, it's uh, it's all good. And in the glass, I uh, I've got you know I, I wasn't familiar with this with this uh, uh, brewery. So I'm going to do a little more research and maybe we can talk about them another time. It's called Paperback. Have you heard of uh, Paperback? Yes. Yep. Um, super cool can art, which is always a you know an initial draw to me when looking at craft beer. Um, this one is the, um, it's a Kolsch. It's called Fancy Pants. And they got a, you know, kind of some cool can art here of people's pants. <laughs> kind of looks mid-century-ish. Um, I got drawn in by that, but, uh, you were joking how you may have picked the wrong port for today based on the weather, but a Kolsch just sounded super refreshing to me. Sounded like it was going to be something really delicious. I grabbed this other one here too. This, uh, they call it their under pressure pale ale, a double dry hopped at five and a half percent. Again, just kind of super fun can art. Um, anyway, these guys look pretty cool and I'm going to let you know what I think about it. As he takes a sip. Love a good Kolsch. What a great, great, easy drinker. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have to go and um, make a trip to, I think, sort of the the OG brewing spot 
in this part of St. Gabriel Valley, which is a place called Pacific Plate. They do a really good Kolsch there. One of my favorite uh, uh, styles. And I think, you know, if I think back to when I was doing homebrew, I had two in particular that really stand out batches in my own opinion. And one was a Kolsch and I was super pleased with it. And the other was a, a, a wet hopped uh, double IPA. And I was really, really happy with that one. I think I ended up, you know, coming out around seven, seven and a half percent ABV and super, you know, aromatic. But um, anyway, so I, I, I love a good Kolsch. Tell me what's on your wrist and uh, what's in your glass, man. Right on the wrist today is um, just one of the most satisfying watches I've ever had. And the only way I'd ever part with it is if I parted for some kind of iteration of it or, you know, maybe a variation, but it's the, the polar dial. 16570 Explorer 2. This is an A, uh, I believe it's an A serial. Yep. And so um, this, I think, would date it depending on who, what reference you look up, reference not being the reference number, but, you know, a book or, or source material somewhere between, you know, maybe late 98 and 2000. So this is the one that's a Swiss only dial and it's the like the one full production year that they did with Luminova not super luminova and it is uh it's just a super cool watch it's you know everything you want in a just a, a whisker under 40 millimeter you know uh, a five digit rolex it wears perfect it's got the little you know kind of rattly end links and yeah it's great i love this watch and i love anything gmt pretty much yeah that's right that's right and one of several uh shared uh watches uh with our our last episode guest, uh, Brodinky, which, uh, which has been such a, a fun episode to, to get feedback from folks on. Yeah, that really was actually a great time. Thanks again for coming on with us, bro. In the, in the glass today, I actually have, and this is, this is a really good satisfying pour, but it's heavy and you know, it's, it was a hot day today and I'm actually, it's, you know, getting dark now, but it's cooling down and, but it was hot all day and I have, maybe the wrong beer. This is the uh, Firestone Walker limited edition release. It's their 24th release. So every year in in the fall, Firestone Walker, which is up in Paso Robles, and that's kind of, you know, special to me and my family, that area. You know, we go to this place a lot. Um, they're known for beers like 805 or Double Barrel, you know, uh, Double Barrel Ale, Union Jack Ale, things like that. So more Pale Ale, IPA, easy drinking beers, but they also do some of these big beers that are, you know, big porters, big stouts. And that's essentially what this is. It's actually very similar in character to the pour check that I did last week from Bottle Logic. It doesn't have the orange characteristic, but you know, it's, um, you know, there's not a lot of carb on this and so not a lot of carbonation. Um, ABV is pretty high. I think it's about 11%. Um, just really nice kind of chocolate malty notes and it's a a really nice sipping beer. So very cool. But right now I'm wishing I probably pick something like you because it's uh it is still pretty warm in here. Love um I love Firestone Walker. Hey, somebody was telling me last night actually that um of the tea I know of course the the main tasting room is in in Paso. Um, and they were explaining to me that there's another one in Buellton where there's only there a is. few seats and it's a little bit more of experimental some of their more experimental brews. Is that right? Uh, that's true. I couldn't speak to how big it is. I've driven by it many times. I know it's there, um, but I've never been in that one. It's the one in Paso Robles is kind of funny because I mean, over over 20 years that I've been watching it, um, 
it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, and the, the little tasting room is in a bigger tasting room and a tasting room in a restaurant. And now it's like a, a big, you know, uh, uh, what you'd expect in the, it's not super corporate, but it's a, a pretty large scale facility now. And it's, yeah. uh, it's just really cool. And I mean, you can get everything from 805, which excuse me, 805, sorry about that frog in my throat. Um, you know, for people on the West Coast, we know that as kind of an easy drinking, almost like a light pale ale. Basically, you know, your perfect beer out of a can for a hot weather, which is what we usually have. And then, like I said, they go heavy on uh, on IPAs and a lot of pale ales, which I appreciate, not super hoppy. But then they do a lot of really experimental things and creative things. And um, yeah, it's very cool. I like they they employ a lot of people up in that area and it's just a, it's a cool spot and good beer. You know, it, it is. And it's, it's always that age old dilemma, right? Where you're like, Oh man, <clears throat> I really appreciated it when it was a smaller operation or maybe appeared less corporate or less refined. You know, it's kind of like when you, you know, a band that you love before they get big or, you know, maybe a, a watch brand, you know, before it hits the mainstream that you really appreciate, but you know, when they're good people and they're doing good things, you want to see them, you know, success begets success. So it's pretty cool to, watch them expand like that. And I'm sure it's, it's good for them. Absolutely. Well, Hey, should we dive into main topics? Let's get into it, man. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I think really the main focus for today, I think is going to be on an event that you were able to go to last week. But before we get to that, I mean, another kind of the thing on my radar, um, in the past, say 48 hours, as I'm sure you're aware is the long anticipated release from Tudor. So Tudor has been teasing for probably six months a collaboration of some kind with uh, you know the uh, the French Navy, um, and I think what a lot of people in in our kind of our watch collecting space really love about Tudor or know about Tudor is how they were sort of this uh, a parallel running sister brand to Rolex, and they had a a mil spec or. I guess you could, well, yeah, I guess it was mil spec because it was issued, um, a series of watches, you know, that were issued to the French military. And essentially these were sort of the, the snowflake divers, some blue, I think that's, that's the famous one is the blue one. And people have been waiting for something like this, like some kind of a reissue or a reimagining possibly based on the black Bay, possibly bla- based on the Pelagos, Pelagos, however you say it, potato, potato. Um, and they finally made good on that. So it's been kind of the worst kept secret, I think, and watched them for about the past week or two. There's been a lot of leaked pictures and things like that. And the reason I bring it up is it seems like, um, I'm sure they'll sell, you know, so we'll just say that up front, but it seems like a lot of people are a little ambivalent. And I think, um, well, first of all, have you seen the watch? Have you had a chance to check it out? I've seen it. Um, I've seen, I've tried to, no, not inundate myself with reviews and, and uh, other opinions, but I've seen a few things and I've seen some people react to it. Um, you know, at first, do you want me to just jump into my thoughts? Yeah, go for it. You know, at first, my first reaction to it is that, you know, it, it obviously maintains some of the Pelagos, you know, DNA. Um, there are some design choices that I think are curious. Um, you know, most notably, probably the, the lug, you know, slash uh, uh, kind of no spring bar system, um, which really would seem to limit your options there. Um, the bezel, I'm not quite clear on. I don't, 
I don't understand its function. I, it, it's obviously different than a typical diver bezel. It, it, from an aesthetics perspective, it's a little busy, I think, quite frankly. But I also just don't understand what it accomplishes. Um, other than that, I think they did good by removing a line of text. Um, you know, it's kind of a long-running joke, I think, right, with the old Pelagos that it's like reading a novel on the dial. Um, so that was probably a good move. Um, you know, I, can't, I think the K-shape is actually different than the Pelagos case. Is that correct? It is, yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be, well, I mean, the architecture of the whole, you know, lug and it's not even a fixed spring bar. I mean, it's basically machined out of the case. I would say it's more accurate that the whole thing is like the, the surround for the case, the case, um, middle, the mid body of the case is almost like a, um, like a monocoque. And there, I would describe these things as basically machine slots and it effectively forms what would be spring bars, but you know, obviously they're not spring bars. They're just these, uh, whatever you call them, essentially. They're, yeah, they're bar, basically, bars. essentially yeah. yeah, bars to hold the strap, right? So yeah, you can attach yeah. the watch head to a strap. Yeah, exactly. So you I would say it's more more accurate to say, you know, you're not you're not feeding a NATO through, you know, a space between a spring bar and the side of the case. Rather it's just a slot in the case and you're, you know, running the the strap through it. I personally I like the bezel. I I think that's a cool thing. I like the fact that it's fully loomed. A tutor Pelagos, and that's kind of how I say it when I think about it, um, was my first foray, like right when they came back to the States uh, in, I think in like maybe mid-2013, I got one of those watches, the the two-liner with the, uh, the Etta movement. Super, super cool watch, but it left me flat. It was just kind of sterile. I think the Rehaut and the dial end up looking, unfortunately, too plasticky. And, and then it's a very tall watch. Um, it wears, it's 42 and it wears every bit of 42, but on the plus side, it's got this incredible bezel. It's really, really well specced. Um, the loom on it is great. It, it was the first, I know I've seen Bremont and I'm sure people before that Bremont had the Supermarine S, you know, S 500 with a loomed bezel. Um, this one also has a loomed bezel and I loved all that about it, but it's a very tall kind of just slab sided watch. And I love the fact on this new one that they made it thinner, but in the end of the day with this, the redesigned profile without, you know, with the, we'll, we'll call them fixed spring bars. How about that? That's not what they are, but that's kind of the effect it is. Um, it ends up being longer lug to lug, I think by two millimeters and they've reprofiled the, the bezel itself so that the ring formed by the bezel is going to be bigger in diameter now, which is a, a, in terms of a usability, that's an improvement, but visually it's going to make this watch where I think pretty big because in order to get it to overhang the bezel, to overhang the case, because in the Pelagos, it does not, um, it, that's going to add like another two millimeters of visual width to the watch. So, I mean, this watch, which already wears like 42 is going to probably look more like 44. And when you wear it on a strap, you know, that passes underneath anything that you gain in thinning it out is going to be added back by the height of the strap. It just seems to me like at the end of the day, this watch is even going to be bigger than it was before. As far as the bezel goes though, Greg, the, the idea of going back and forth and the, the design on that, you know, if you're talking about the bi-directional nature of it, um, 
like combat swimmers are generally shallow water swimmers and usually will be either, um, you know, like finning on the surface or they're going to be, you know, breathing a closed circuit rig. So instead of like an open circuit rig, like scuba, they'd be, you know, breathing a closed circuit rig, like something called Drager or there's others too. Drager is probably one of the most common and swimming at shallow depths. And so for them, they're not worried so much about like things like bottom times and and decompression stops and stuff like that, which is what necessitates, sorry, um, the unidirectional, you know, bezel on a dive watch. Mm -hmm. Instead, what they're going to be doing is, um, is literally, you know, compass and timing navigation underwater, you know, in a dark environment. So, um, you know, it's the kind of thing where there's different methods to it, but typically, you know, swimmers, a pacing swimmer has a pretty good idea when they're finning, which is just swimming, you know, with fins underwater at a certain pace, they do a fin count and they're like, okay, I've, you know, I know I can get, you know, let's say 60 beats in a minute. And that typically takes me on the surface, a distance of, let's say a hundred meters or 50 meters, or I'm just picking a number. And so they have like that datum and then they're literally using like the, like old fashioned, you know, uh, uh, dead reckoning navigation in an airplane. You're just, you're using a compass. It's a, it's like a, a big, if you want to think of it like this, it almost looks like an iPad, you know, it's tethered mm-hmm. to your body. There's a big compass and a, uh, you know, kind of like a grease pencil board, you know, for communicating underwater with other swimmers and probably just using the watch as a backup. So you're like, okay, on this, I'm going to swim this heading with this roughly this beat count for two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes set with your bezel. And then I'm going to switch to another heading at that time. And that's why you'd use a countdown. So you'd say, okay, instead of a count up, uh, countdown would, you know, say, okay, I'm going to take this bearing for 10 minutes. And once it's, you know, elapsed, you can just rotate it back you know, in the, in the other direction or whatever direction is closest. So it's, you get a similar effect to flyback. In other words, you can just get it right back to your datum on the, on the watch. But. So my big question is, are you going to be effectively going to be effectively able to use this to, to grill the time, uh, time the griller on the, you know, with the meats? Well, that's what I'd probably use it for. And you're (laughs) goddamn right. I could. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, Bro Dinky is going to kill me because we. I think we both agree with with good meat. You're not timing it. You're just watching the temperature. That's all. That's but um, yeah. In the end, I love that they did this. It's very niche. If I if I was in a position in life where I could just have every tutor watch I wanted, I'd buy this in a second. But it's. I, I agree with you. The point you made. The best feature on the the regular Pelagos is the bracelet. They did away with it. I think the smart play would have been to engineer this thing so that they could do some kind of quick detach on those fix, fixed spring bars. IWC has done that before where they have a pretty good bracelet and then a pretty good um, rubber, really, really high quality rubber pin buckle strap, and you can go back and forth easily. That would have been the play here. They could probably charge a few bucks for it more. And I'd have been all over that like... uh like stink on you know what, but this I have to pass. It's just not usable enough as a daily, and that's my tutor gripe. So, and then just to leave it off, I mean, what, what what's the retail on this one supposed to be? What's the MSRP? Um, what I've seen is thirty nine hundred. I was um, fortunate enough to be given an opportunity to get one 
And it was one of those where, you know, Hey, please sell it on. I, I won't wear that enough. And I, you know, thanked our favorite retailer Feldmar, but that was one that I was like, eh, I I like the left-hand drive better. Yeah. Can't have them all. Yep. So enough about Tudor. Tell us about this event you went to, man. Last week, I had a chance to spend some time down at uh, in downtown LA at uh, <clears throat> at uh, Grand Central Market. Uh, it was uh, LA Microlux, uh, an event that was over two days. I was able to make it down one of the days and actually bumped into uh, a good uh, mutual friend, uh, Jorge, the traveling timepiece, and um, spent some time cool catching dude. up with some. Uh, yeah, great guy, great photography, very nice, very nice person. Um, and uh, yeah, was came, came away with a new appreciation for you know some brands that I had heard of or or, or seen, of course, you know online or, or on social media, but never in person. And then, uh, quite frankly, a number of, of brands and, and, and people that I had never met or heard of before. So um, from that perspective, it was a, it was a lot of fun, and it was of course easy to to get down there for us. So um, you know, there's a, a whole slew of of watch events going on, you know, from wind up to others and some of them are close and some of them are far and this one was in our backyard so it made a lot of sense to to slide down there and and, and check it out yeah i'm really glad you were able to do that i was out of town for the weekend uh, but uh, so just to clarify again i think i have an idea but for the listeners i mean this was strictly micro brands you know kickstarter folks what else was there you know, there was, and I think this should open up another interesting conversation for us, you know, what is a micro brand, right? But there was essentially, you know, maybe somewhere between a dozen and two dozen brands there. Um, and I think you could generally characterize them as micro brands, although maybe a few would be sort of pushing that on that definition a little bit. And, uh, and others were absolutely right in, you know, their kind of Kickstarter fundraising campaign um you know, right in the midst of, right in the middle of all that action. And, you know, I got the sense that there was, there was brands that, you know, I don't see as often as I see other micro brands, particularly, you know, a lot of the folks that were at like sort of the windups and other places. And so these were maybe brands that folks didn't have exposure to, or maybe were so new to market, or maybe just had never, you know, come across, you know, in the, in, in person. And so, um, you know, some of the bigger known brands that I think we would have been familiar with were, of course, Norkane. Was there? Um, Laco, Laco um, was right. there. Um, beyond that, you started to get into some brands probably that folks were not as familiar with. Um, Haim Watch Company, which I think we'll talk a little bit further about uh, as a new. It's sort of in their Kickstarter. They have one. They had one piece out before, but they're in the midst of launching two new pieces. Uh, Balsel, um, which is out of Australia, but really pushing hard here in the states. Uh, Swiss Watch Company which I actually you know, I wouldn't mind touching base with you on that. I think you might appreciate what they're doing. Um, really purpose-built, um, practical watches. Um, but I really enjoyed what they were doing. Um, uh, who else was there? I'm trying to think. Um, Towson, Towson Watch Company. Um, Ite Noy, which oh, is- Oh, wow. A, yeah, he was really interesting. So he's out of Israel, if I, if I understand that correctly. Um, and, uh, I'm familiar with his watches. Um, interesting. That's really interesting interesting that he would be there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. He definitely seemed to push on the, you know, the artistic side of things and the complication side of things. I think he probably presented some of the more compelling pieces from a design aspect, you know, where, 
um, you know, definitely pushing the envelope where others, you know, probably weren't quite as, um, you know, out of the ordinary yeah, that you might expect. So, you know, a really interesting cross-section. Um, and uh, Le Sablier was one that I wanted to mention to you, gentleman, uh, I think his name is Akbar out of Washington, D.C. Is that so, the, the one with the pictures that you'd sent to me? Yeah. So maybe I can tell you a few about the ones that really stood out to me. And then maybe we can talk about what is a micro brand and maybe what sure. isn't or what some of our thoughts are. Yeah. So the, the gentleman is this Le Sablier, really interesting watches. He was going for this integrated, he's going for this integrated um, sports watch look. The cases are big and angular. They're, I mean, they've got a lot of character, but his dials are really interesting. Um, he had a, a few pieces, one in particular, he called it's uh, the Aventurine. Um, it's like a glass. And so it's really hard to describe. I'm going to share some video, I think, but this, it's like a cobalt blue with these specks of glass that are in the dial. And as you just let it, the light play with it, it, it just is, is really, really interesting. Um, he did a really nice job with that. And then there was, you know, he had basically kind of like a, like a ghost skeleton, um, skeletonized dial, which sort of was reminiscent of, you know, like the, there's a Zeitwerk, I think that does something similar. So you have kind of a skeletonized view of the dial, but it's ghosted over. So it's not a, it's not a full clear skeleton, but there's, you can see kind of what's going on underneath the dial. Yeah. When I first saw that picture, what struck me about that dial, it was really attractive when it was, um, and not to say it's not at high resolution, but at low resolution, it looks like it's got like a pattern to it. And then at high resolution and kind of magnified a little bit, you can see, okay, I see what this is. It's like a, 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 essentially like a frosted, if you want to think of it like that, like a frosted glass dial or a frosted yeah. transparency. And it, you know, it was not skeletonized in a conventional way where you can kind of see everything. It keeps the legibility really good. It, it's almost like um, if you've ever seen ice, with water that's been left still for a long time. And there's yeah. like any, any of the particulate like matter has settled out and the air is out of it. So when it freezes, it's really, really clear like glass. Well, this is the opposite. This is like the kind of thing where the glass or the, the ice still has a lot of, you know, oxygen and, and, you know, there's, you know, particulates or whatever. And so it's got that frosty kind of a look. I thought that was really really cool. I I'd be curious to see that in the metal. It looks big, which I yeah. I mean big, but on the other hand, the dial is in no way derivative. It looked really cool. I agree. You know, really neat just uh like you said, not not reminiscent of anything else. Um we uh Swiss watch company was one that I think I had sort of known who they were, but I couldn't really tell you much about them. And um they're making some really cool essentially field watch field watches um a lot of titanium really purposeful purposely built uh, awesome loom a ton of really cool strap options these really neat fabric straps with essentially like a a, a velcro kind of fixed loop closure um it just struck me as really awesome grab and go pieces um you know adventure pieces grab it throw it on the wrist you're hiking you're biking you're whatever um, clean, you know, designs and, um, just really nice. I thought they were doing some really nice things and it was nice to see them in person. Right on. So, um, were you able to, and I think I know the answer to this because you probably would have told me and you didn't tell me. So I'm assuming you did not have a chance to check out Norcane directly or did you? I did. I actually did. So the, uh, 
the managing director of, of basically their U.S. operations, um, I believe his name is Emmanuel, and uh, he was there and he had a, he really had a, a pretty significant, um, you know, uh, selection of, of what's in their catalog at the moment. And so I uh, was really impressed with them. You know, the dials, which you see so much of on, on Instagram and other places that sort of, I don't know exactly, like herringbone kind of carbon fiber, you know, look, oh, they're really beautiful in person. Um, they're, they're, those are really well-built, handsome watches. Um, and they, they cover a pretty big spectrum in, in terms of what you're looking for, you know, from sort of their bigger, you know, sportier chronos all the way down to, you know, what they would call sort of, you know, their smaller you know, more, more distinguished, uh, you know, GMTs and, and, uh, uh, you know, they even had a couple bronze offerings. Um, and, uh, you know, I can see what the hype is about. I see why people are, are have really, you know, re- reacted pretty well to them and why they're, you know, they've become pretty popular with folks. Um, you know, a really, uh, a pretty, a pretty compelling case for, you know, for, for your next watch. Yeah, what I have seen from that brand, I think, is actually pretty attractive in terms of like, you know, value for money and the fact that they're they're offering some pretty legit complications, especially the GMT. That's the thing that I think speaks to me, and you know that they're my understanding is that their movements are coming from this, you know, sort of up and coming. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to get out over my skis in terms of you know, linking one company to another, but you, everybody who's listening to this knows what I'm saying. Um, Yeah. And quite frankly, I think, you know, I think it would be awesome to maybe have a a bigger conversation, maybe specifically with Norcane about, you know, how that came about, what they're up to, what their plans are. I think that would be a lot of fun because, you know, I think there's a lot of, like you said, kind of, uh, you know, understanding of what maybe, you know, they're doing, but it'd be cool to, to hear it maybe directly from them. Yeah, totally. Well, so you kind of teased the question that, well, before would, we do that, I, yeah, before we ahead. do that, I, I think what we might try to do, Matt, is is release maybe a set of you know mini mini sods um, with a few of the folks that were at the event. Um, you know, particularly we sat down with uh, Zakir from Haim Watch Company, had a nice conversation. Actually, Josh uh, from Out of Time was with me for that, and so we had a lot of fun uh, at Salazar, uh, which is a cool uh, uh, Mexican restaurant here in LA. Um, you know, we're planning on spending some more time with the folks at, uh, at Bausel. Uh, Aaron is the CEO and got a chance to spend time and see those in, in person. Those are, you know, I mean, the build quality on those are, it was much higher than I could have expected only seeing photos and, uh, maybe some other folks too. Um, Patrick from Bremoir, Bremoir was there. He's kind of an LA based, um, you know, micro brand owner and he's actually, his designs are quite unique and, um, and I think stand out. So anyway, I think we have a, some follow-up conversations directly with some of these brands that we might release as, as a part of a, a mini series. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. I think in this is, um, I don't know how to describe this, but it's not, uh, uh, you know, teasing something that exists yet. Not really, but the fact is neither you or I, you nor I, I don't know, but, um, neither, neither, of neither of us are big micro guys. And this would be, I don't know, this is something that I think is worth exploring because, you know, we um, we know that there's another relatively popular brand here in Southern California, and it's kind of funny. We've talked about how the fact that we buy six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know, we know the guys from Notice because you know we know people who know people who know them, et cetera. And that we need to talk to them. Um, we were thinking about talking to them about booze, but 
you know, I suppose the watches are probably cool too. Yeah, I think so. That that might be worth if if you guys ever hear this. By the way, I'm saying that with a big smile. Um, And full disclosure, we've not met them, so that would be fun. And I like the idea of maybe doing some kind of a, a mini series, you know, where we have a few minutes sit down with any number of of these up and coming brands, whether they're, you know, Kickstarter, small brands, micros, whatever you call them. That'd be and, fun. You know, yeah, I think so. And then to piggyback off of that, you know, I, and maybe just because I've been paying closer attention to it as you and I were getting ready to, to jump on today, but it, it's become sort of clear to me, or maybe it seems clear to me that there's a lot of folks in the watch community, whether they're podcasts or, you know, just collectors or people who are, you know, just in the watch fam that sort of really focus and hone in on the micro brands. And then there's a whole segment of folks that maybe focus on whatever the mid, you know, mid luxury market. And then there's another set that focus on kind of high horology. I don't think that we've ever really self-identified as any of that. I think we just kind of collect what we collect and enjoy what we enjoy. And so in some ways I kind of see it as not only a way for us to expand our horizons, you know, I've, I think we're always looking to learn about new things and, but at the same time, you know, uh, it just helps sort of define us that we're not, you know, we're not defined. I don't think it's, you know, we're not micro brand guys. We're not, not micro brand guys. We just don't happen to have anything in the collection at the moment. Yeah. Well, there's, I think there's always the idea too, that there's the opportunity possibly in some cases for a lot of people, um, for personal connection with these brands that you'll never get with bigger brands. And so let's get into that. What, what makes a micro brand, right? That what you just hit on probably is, is one important line to draw. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We had this briefly, I think we touched on this with Cameron Weiss and we had Cam on a few months ago from Weiss Watch Company. And I think based on what he said and my observation, like my perception, you know, Weiss is a small brand, not a micro brand. Um, some people might view that differently, but what's to separate somebody like Cameron's company from, you know, a Notice or a Bausel? Those are cool watches. Um, or, you know, Norcane, which to me, uh, you know, is again, kind of like, you know, Cameron's company, a smaller brand, definitely a lot of noise and a lot of heat on them right now. So that's, I assume that's a brand on the come up in five years. We might not think of that as a small brand at all. So, yeah. That's what, a great point. Yeah. And I, I almost, I've been, as we've been sitting here talking about, it, I've been thinking about too, like craft beer has sort of had to redefine what craft beer is too, you know, um, Sam Adams right? It's still technically, you know, craft beer. Um, but they've, they're pushing, right? And they're, so they're nowhere near, you know, the big, large, you know, BMC, you know, Bud Miller cores of the world. They're literally a drop in the hat of that. But at the same time, it's really hard to, to put them next to, you know, Overtown, right? Or Wingwalker or some of our other favorites that we were just talking about. It's just, there's, there has to be almost tears now, of things because you know the truth of the matter is like we said when we spoke with Cameron he he, he we asked him what's somebody to look out for and he was kind of struggling because he was like well there's there's brands that are smaller than me so he it's clear that there you know there's a a, a line there um you know just in terms of probably units moved uh but also in terms of brand presence um and just maybe materials actually and and, and maybe who's making watches versus who's assembling watches Maybe funding, maybe funding too. Who are folks that are, you know, utilizing Kickstarter and other campaigns like that versus folks that are have established catalogs 
and um, and inventory. So I, I don't know. It's it's a really interesting question. I don't have a perfect tidy answer for it, but one part that that does resonate is like you said, having a direct connection to to the brand owners. You know, a, a lot of us can. You know, if you could pick up, you know, the phone or send an email or a text or a message and get through to you know the person that you bought the watch from, that's a that's a kind of a defining characteristic in some ways. I mean, none of us are getting through to Rolex or Omega, obviously quite why we wouldn't even expect to. Um, but so that's an interesting point of it. Um, and I wonder how folks would identify themselves. I wonder if uh, some of these folks identify as, as, as micro brands. Yeah. I, I almost wonder if there's a, um, like an etiquette about it. You know, I think of, and again, I'll use Cameron as sort of the benchmark, you know, somebody who is a, um, a you know, a trained watchmaker who's worked for, you know, not just one, but multiple big brands, I mean, big brands, right. You know, the Trinity brands, um, and who is, you know, doing some of his, maybe to a certain extent, a fairly large amount of the work, you know, of putting things together, you know, by hand, it's one thing to case a watch or to, you know, uh, uh, check on quality control and stuff like that, all of which is, you know, fine. I mean, that's, that's uh, valuable, and a lot of companies don't do any of that on their own. So, you know, I, to me, that doesn't really make a difference. I think as long as there's some kind of transparency, but I think in some cases, some of it is just like, you know, Hey, if you're, if you're somebody like me, who's a, a mid tier, maybe slightly above mid tier tool watch enthusiast and vintage tool watch enthusiast, but you happen to know somebody in your circle who's affiliated with you know, a small brand or an up and coming brand or a micro or whatever you want to call them. I think there's a certain kind of a sense that you want to lend support. And, um, you know, and again, you know, full disclosure for everybody listening, we don't know. I don't know the guys from notice. They don't know we're talking about this, but I mean, these guys are from LA. Their watches are cool. We know a lot of people who know them. We know a lot of people who have them at some point you could see like, Hey, yeah, I'd, I'd shell out a few bucks. I could see why people want to support, you know, um, Chase from Oak and Oscar or, and I'm blanking on the guy's name, but Brew, you know, he's, yeah, yeah. I I mean, that brand is kind of a darling right now. And for good reason, some of those watches are really cool. Yeah. Nick, um, from Orion, um, watches in Philadelphia. I know, like you said, there's a lot of regional, there's a lot of regional pride, I think in these two, some of them will put, you know, the te- the city or the town or the area directly on the dial, right? Made, I mean, Cameron did for a while, you know, Los Angeles. Um, I, I believe Haim is putting Chicago on theirs. Uh, I know some people, you know, Midwest, um, you know, whatever it is. And so there's regional pride, you know, that goes with it too, which is cool because in some ways it feels like supporting small business um, rather than big international, either conglomerates or organizations or publicly traded, you know, companies. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, there's, there's only so many dollars that the Wilsdorf foundation needs and, you know, we could probably spread some more around these smaller, uh, smaller outfits. That would be cool. It, it is. And, and, you know, as saturated as, as watches could be sometimes the truth is it's still a pretty small niche, you know, thing. And the more people that are into watches, I still think there's more room for brands. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, of course, some will will make it, some will, you know, maybe, you know, have to pivot. 
but um, there's room there's, and there, especially for folks that are doing things that are interesting, different, um, not derivative of other things. Um, I just don't see any reason why, you know, why people can't be creative and, um, and, and offer things that, that we're not seeing elsewhere. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, I, I like, to, I like to see it. I like to, to meet the people. I like to hear why they got into it. I like to hear, you know, how people respond to it and, um, you know, opportunities like this at, at this Microlux event were, were a neat way to see some of these things, um, you know, in person for once. Yeah, no, totally. Well, hey, at the risk, and I, I apologize because I did not tell you I was going to ask you this question, but, you know, why not? You know, let's just, at the risk of alienating anybody who might be listening to this, I mean, just from your, I'll, I'll hold my hand up. I did not understand why people liked Laurier. I mean, it seemed fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. Nothing wrong with the designs. I didn't get it. And then I saw mm-hmm. Josh's watch and got to handle it and wear it for a while. And I'm like, okay, this all makes sense to me now. Um, and that's one that I could, you know, I I could be very happy with that watch. That the watch that Josh has is fantastic. That uh that kind of I don't know what you'd almost call it, like this, you know, almost like a blueberry dial, but it, it did not look like a conventional dial. It was like this really heavy, almost kind of enamel paint. Yeah. It was really yeah. like, you know, like beautifully burnished. Um, so the question I have for you is, you know, neither of us are big in micro. What's kind of on your micro radar right now? I mean, Bussell is an obvious one. Hames an mm-hmm. obvious one. Would you talk to them? Um, but what else have you seen that you find intriguing in the past? However long. Yeah. I, and to be clear, I think Josh has the Gemini. I want to say he's got some sort of limited edition Gemini with this kind of the, the blue dial one. I think there's 88 pieces. So, you know, you can link and, and tag Josh on that. Um, I'll trust you. You know, to be honest, I think this, like I mentioned, the Swiss watch company, you know, uh, those field watches were not on my radar at all before the show. And I walked away thinking, wow, that's a great one to have. Based, I would, I would kind of relate it to like, the, the the khaki mechanical, you know, like a no like a, a, a no frills, well executed field watch that you'll throw on and 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 quite frankly not even not worry about it, but probably appreciate the character it takes on when you're out doing stuff with it. Um, and so you know, sort of in that mold, I thought that was really nice. Um, no, I hate to keep saying the same over and over, but Notice has been on on the radar for a while. Like you said, the, the obvious um, Los Angeles connection. Um, you and I have been talking and. And uh, between you and, and Jason Heaton, you, you guys are going to, you know, make me buy a dive watch at some point. I just, I really appreciate what Notice does with their dive watches. And I think the dial treatments, the color, uh, color ways that they do and uh, the nature to which, you know, they, they put together their, their pieces in their catalog, I think is thoughtful. So that's probably on the short list as well. Um, wow. What else stands out? Um, I've always been a fan of Oak and Oscar. Um, again, if we go back to the conversation, I don't want to redo the whole thing, but does price also play into what you call a micro brand? Because quite frankly, right. Oak and Oscar, Norcane to some degree, Weiss, they're playing at a different sticker price than Haim, than, uh, notice than, uh, Laurier. Uh, than Baltic, if you, you know, something like that. So, you know, I don't know if sticker price plays into it, but, um, you know, that's just something for us to, to, to kind of chew on for a minute too, but I've always appreciated 
what they do. They're thoughtful um, in the way that they put their stuff together. Um, you know, I have, I grew up in Philadelphia. So part of me has always appreciated what they're, what, what Nick's doing at, at Orion watches. I thought that Hellcat that they did very recently was really well executed. And some of the dial colors, there's a blue, it's almost like a slate blue, really well done. Uh, yeah, those are some of the few that have stood out that, you know, I've probably saved somewhere in my social media or, or parked somewhere in my, in my headspace. How about you? Well, yeah, I think, um, again, I don't consider them micro, but I mean, I've hovered many times in the past 30 days, you know, over, uh, add to cart for a cup, more than one of Cameron's watches at Weiss watch company. I notice is the one that's kind of pulled me in, um, looking at a, a variety of things from them also they those look very very neat I, I like that sector the sector dial watch that they have um i think laurier is cool i would want to see more the one that josh has my you know my understanding is that that's it the, what i loved about that was the color and the execution on the dial i'd like to see if they do other stuff that's like that you know um this is always the thing too. You really, I think as a, if you're doing it right as a micro brand, you've got to be out there with people because there is generally right, not a brick and mortar establishment to look at these places and, or look at, go to and look at these uh, watches. So you've got to have some understanding of what it is you're buying and what it is, what they look like. So it's not the, um, you know, the, the Seiko Alpinist effect where it looks like one thing in the, in the renders and in the pictures. And when you get it, it's a completely different watch, but yeah, I, I would think those are the things that are kind of on my mind. I really, oh, I did not, the early brew watches did nothing for me, but the more recent ones are crushers, just absolute bangers of the designer. So good. Um, so th- that's another thing I could conceive of. I'd love to find somebody who has one to take a look at. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of what's on my radar for now. And, you know, I there's think a they- few others that, there was a few others that stood out to me. You know, I, I've always appreciated the, the Baltic, um, what do they call it? Aqua, Aqua scoff. Um, you know, it's a really cool, you know, uh, you know, dive watch, I guess it, I guess that's what they're going for. Um, and then that recent one they just put out, I don't know what they called it, but it had this sort of frosted dial with the Breguet numerals. Um, they were using a somewhat, I don't want to call it controversial, but sort of a movement that people were like, what is this, right? Or what, where did this come from? It's some kind of, it was a Chinese manufactured movement with a micro rotor, um, but the dial treatment and, and, and sort of the design with an off-center, you know, seconds hands at what, almost nine o'clock maybe? It was, or no, like seven, seven thirty or eight. I, I I'm picturing multiple things with yeah the the seconds subdial being off center you know in other words like out of uh, so asymmetric and Baltic is one of those designs I remember that watch being really really neat looking in terms of you know the aesthetics and the design super cool watch how could we forget you know to talk about Baltic um, yeah I I remember Josh being actually kind of bummed he did not get that sorry Josh we're talking about you again bud. Yeah, no, that was a cool one. Here's another one that's kind of, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with it at all, but I see them sometimes and they sound really cool. But again, I know their price, you know, they're, this is up market if you're talking about micro brands, or maybe this is just an independent, but have you seen those, um, how do you say it? La Venture, La Venture, La Venture? Yes, yes, Those dude. are cool. Oh yeah, those are. Do you call that a micro? What, what are we calling I, that? Just an independent brand? 
I don't know enough about their story to really know what the deal is. Um, I don't know anybody who has one, but I've seen them and they are sexy. Those are such cool watches. That, like the green one in particular. Talk to somebody about it and see one. Of I don't know. We, we'll, we'll have to take that offline. But yeah, that those watches are really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, there's, there's, there's really cool stuff out there. You know, there's no shortage of interesting things. Um, and quite frankly, the way some of the markets are going with Rolex and, and, and other brands, you know, I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice by not paying attention or at least being open to being moved or intrigued by some of these other brands that are doing super cool things. And quite frankly, a lot of them are purposefully not being influenced by the, 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 the general or kind of accepted, you know, uh, watch design, you know, of, 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 of years past. And so, you know, bravo for going out and doing something and, and, and trying to, to make something yours. And like I said, you know, I don't, I, as I listen to watch podcasts or, or follow, you know, different accounts or people, I don't think we definitively characterize ourselves as indie watch guys or Omega guys or Rolex fanboys or whatever. Um, uh, or, or micro brand guys. I think we're, we're just open. We're open watch collectors. We enjoy learning about it and meeting the people who, you know, are behind these things. And, and, uh, we're happy to support you know, the people that we think are doing cool stuff and doing it the right way, I guess. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, maybe we'll put a bow on it with this. The moral of the story is, you know, if you are like Greg and I, which is to say you're sort of micro curious, find, <laughs> You know, find, right. Um, find a, uh, find somebody that you like in the micro space, because really if you're in sales, I'm in sales, you know, you sell yourself first of all, you know, it's people buy from people they like people associate with people they like, um, at least when given the chance or given the choice. And, you know, once you sort of, I, my guess is a lot like personal relationships, once you find a a micro personality that you like, for for back of, lack of a better way to put it, um, you probably will start to like the watches. And if you have the opportunity to support them and that's something you want to try, take the plunge, do it. You know, let us know how it goes. But there certainly is, there's no shortage of these small brands, micro brands, uh, micro adjacent brands. I have a hard time calling Norcane a micro brand, um, but uh, you know what I mean. And and do it. You know, there's the story is more accessible, and the story. I don't care what people say about like marketing is stupid and fluff or whatever. No, it's not. You know that this whole the watch hobby is inherently irrational, emotional. I mean, we're we're long past actually needing these things to tell time, and. Um, although I would argue against that, but you know, for most people, it really is about the, like the evocative nature of the object. And if there's people that you like support them. That's right. That's my two cents. That's a great way to put it, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, more to come, I think we'll, we'll talk to a few of the folks that are the brand owners of some of these, um, you know, in the next coming weeks. So, you know, stay tuned and hit us in the comments. Let us know if we're missing somebody. Let us know if there's somebody that should be on our radar that we haven't mentioned or haven't thought of, or, you know, wasn't present at some of the more recent, um, you know, watch events. We'd love to hear who's out there doing cool stuff that everybody likes. Yeah, totally. Well, I tell you what, let's call that, uh, 
you know, job done for the main topic here. What do you think? Do you, well, let's wind this up. Do you have anything you want to kind of chit chat about at the end here? Any last minute recommendations? A couple things, you know, I, I was actually, you know, a lot of us probably haven't been to the ADs or, you know, the, as much as we'd like to over the last, whatever, 18 months. And so, uh, not too long ago, I, I made my way over and, and picked up uh, the Watchinista um, mag, which actually you, you tipped me off to. And while I was there, I picked up this Omega Lifetime uh, magazine as well. Now, this is old. They call this issue 22. So this is from in, in, in 2020. I imagine this is when they intended for No Time to Die to be actually in theaters. Um, which is a whole conversation in its own right, right? <laughs> From when we you know, first saw the, the No Time to Die, you know, Bond, Seamaster, to when they antici- anticipated releasing the movie to when it actually did. But anyway, the reason I wanted to call this out is because I, I bet you there's a bunch of them running around, you know, the AD still. But in particular, one place that I really liked was this kind of cocktail. They called it Cocktail Hours. And it was essentially um, a, a mini spread about all the bond cocktails. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And I think I recommended an article about all the, the bond drinks and cocktails, but I just love the photography on this. It's like super lifestyle, you know, shot. Um, obviously the watch is, 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 you know, a big part of what they're doing with the photography, but it's, I don't know, it just kind of captures, I think what you and I talk about, you know, the sort of bon vivantness, it's the, you know, the cocktails, it's the, it's the, the spirits, it's the wine, the beer that goes along with, you know, the things that we love to wear on our wrists. So Really cool spread, really, you know, a good magazine as, as most of those are, are, are usually well done. And then um, two little mini plugs I wanted to put out there. Uh, folks could check out the Spirit of Time website. It's uh, spiritoftime.co, so spiritoftime.co. We've been updating it with, you know, some YouTube videos that we've been working on, some blog posts. Just really proud of it. Really love what it's looking like. And but at the same time, would love some constructive feedback and would love for people to be checking it out. Uh, and finally... Um, just got a message this week and I'm going to stop by on uh, shortly on, on the way out here, uh, penny pound ice, which is, uh, an ice company here in Los Angeles. Um, they want to throw some, uh, some of their incredible, um, ice at us. Uh, actually Brian from high West tipped me off to them. He, he buys a lot of his ice from them. Beautiful crystal clear, uh, ice blocks, um, for use in cocktails, of course, and so I'm going to swing by, pick up, uh, you know, some stuff from them and, and mix up some cocktails. And I told him I would shout them out and, and let them know what we what we came up with for that. So anyway, Penny Pound Ice, you can check them out online um, on their social and, um, you know, we'll give more information there. But yeah, so that's what's going on. That's fantastic. Actually, I really want to learn more about that because uh, I have fairly hard water here and my ice is never particularly attractive. So I would like to get good, clear ice for cocktails. Um, you did grab two of those Omega publications, right? Like one for you and one for your best watch buddy? <laughs> yeah, I think I did. <laughs> uh, yeah. You liar. Anyway. <laughs> um I, so I do not have a recommendation today except this, and I this isn't really a recommendation because it's echoing somebody else's recommendation or at least somebody else's uh, you know subject matter. But um, I listen to pretty much every watch related podcast fairly regularly, and so the uh, Spence from the Whiskey and Watches podcast multiple times has talked about the podcast. I think that he's really interested in. He like me, he's a James Bond fan. I think you're kind of a James Bond fan. Uh, Jason Heaton's a James Bond. It, it's, you know, you, 
throw a rock in a room full of watch enthusiasts and you're going to, you're going to hit James Bond fans. But uh, the podcast, James Bonding, or maybe it's James Bonding podcast, but I just started listening to that today. It, it put the hook in me. Very, very fun. Deep dives on individual, you know, uh, individual movies. Usually there's guests, they break it down and tease stuff out. It's a lot of fun. So I guess what I'm really saying is, you know, check out the James Bonding podcast. Double check, you know, the uh, the thing that Greg just mentioned in terms of checking out like the cool cocktails and whatnot. And thanks to Whiskey and Watches for giving me an idea, which is really ultimately what I think the best value add to all of these podcasts are. I found Meru, which is a great uh, documentary, Jimmy Chin documentary through the Grainado. Um, you know, there's any number of things I've found through Hodinkee whiskey and watches, 10 and two, et cetera. I hope people are finding things through us and yeah, that's it. That's awesome. That's cool to hear another kind of co-sign on that pod. You know, I've heard, I've heard, uh, you know, some good things about it. So uh, maybe I'll try and fire it up in my, uh, my playlist as well. Super fun. But yeah, pro tip, um, you'll catch a few of the most recent things on Apple. Um, but otherwise you got to go to Stitcher to catch the back catalog. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yep. That's it. Well, brother, it's good talking to you. I think I'm going to go ahead and hit the stop button here shortly. But in the meantime, salute to you. Cheers, friend. Take care, bud. See you, man. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.